Hey, what up? My name is Mariah, and this podcast is called The Planets Are My Gods. Back in 2011, I was living in Portland, Oregon, trying to make it to this festival called Beloved. I didn't know much about it, but I knew there was going to be yoga and a bunch of world musicians, and I was mainly excited to go party and take some psychedelic drugs in the woods. I didn't have a car. And so I looked up on the website and there was a list of all these people who were willing to offer rides. I picked the one that seemed the shiniest to me and I reached out and that person who ended up giving me a ride to Beloved in 2011 was none other than Arakai motherfucking Moon. There, I think, were other people in the car on that trip down to the campsite where the festival was. But me and Arakai, as soon as I met them, just began fusing. We dropped into some hyper-stimulated neurological network buttercup fairyland world of just sharing all of our lives, all of our stories, and all of the wild ideas that we'd never been able to share with anyone. It is so rare and so special to meet someone where the feeling is limitless, where it's like, doesn't matter if you're talking about sex or sociopolitical issues or multidimensional reality or deep somatic body practices or whatever it is that you're into, that person can go along with you for the ride. I remember reading somewhere that What love does is it expands us. And I can imagine no more expansive person than my dear and beloved friend. We've actually ended up studying a lot of the same things together, side by side, starting with Lomi Lomi, Hawaiian bodywork, energy work, martial arts, and Qigong, moving into depth psychology, attachment systems, seduction, interpersonal power dynamics, as well as socio-political and cultural issues of all kinds, and always, always, always astrology. We have lived together, we have worked together, we have held each other through highs and lows and breakups and new ventures and huge awakenings. In this world where the media still so focuses on romantic love and most people's conversations still prioritize romantic or sexual relationships above all else, It feels really special and precious to be putting something out there that really centralizes friendship and showcases the incredible role and nourishment that friendship can provide in our lives. I think as friends, me and Arakai both complement but also counterpoint each other in different ways. We have very unique backgrounds that also strangely mirror each other. I was raised in something like a leftist, radical, political, queer community in San Francisco, California, in the United States. And Arakai, who's queer and non-binary, was raised in small town, evangelical, somewhat rural world up in Washington state, riding dirt bikes and motorcycles and all kinds of things like that. But more about our backgrounds once we get into it. We wanted to start recording this podcast, one, so that we would have an excuse to talk to each other once a week, minimum, 
but also with the hope that in putting ourselves out there and in sharing our friendship, making ourselves knowable and connectable in public in this way, that we're also making ourselves available for all of you, that we're also here to be your friend, as cheesy as that sounds, but also in a real way, because we know how much it's meant just to have one person who sees you in your highest, who doesn't think you're crazy, who can meet and match and roll and play with you. It can be life-changing. It can even be the difference between life and death. And so we're here with you, for you, as your friends. Arakai lives down in Mexico and I live in Portland, Oregon. So a lot of these conversations were recorded over Zoom. Usually they are lying in their bed and sensually looking out at the ocean. And usually I am at my standing desk looking out at the tiny little bit of garden in front of my home. For this first podcast, we didn't know exactly where to start. So we decided to just dive in. Mercury and Saturn were doing very interesting things in their retrograde cycles. And so we sort of wove in talking about Mercury and Saturn, the meaning of the retrogrades, along with their correlation to the heart and the nervous system as we've experienced it in our own lives. I'd say this conversation is pretty exemplary of the type of stuff we like to talk about, but that also is our first time recording a podcast together. We hope that you enjoy it, and we hope that you stick with us as we learn more about this art form and continue to refine. So for now, welcome, and let's dive right in. Is it brain fog, or do we need to disconnect from this dense-ass reality? this dense ass motherfucking reality and who is better to teach us about dense reality than the fucking gravity led of Saturn as our teacher Mm. as our dynamic adversary and ally and hard mommy daddy shaman you cannot resist the gravity of Saturn the same way you cannot resist the reality of time There's only making peace. There's only integrating and befriending this great force. But I'm serious. I'm looking around at what's going on right now. It really reminds me of, I don't know, have you seen the show Russian Doll? Mm -mm, I don't watch TV. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there's a show Russian Doll. And um, in the first episode, the main character played by the incredible Natasha Leone dies. And then um, as soon as she dies, she goes back to the beginning of the night that she died. And like the whole series goes with kind of this unraveling of reality as she dies and then is born again and is trying to figure out why she's stuck in a loop in this kind of version of reality that feels like a video game a little bit like it does right now. But each time she's waking up as the series goes on, it's like the world that she's moving through starts becoming more thin, more threadbare. There are less people at the party. All of the oranges that were on the 
golden bowl on her counter start molding. There's less food on the shelves of the stores. And when I walk around, it feels like that's what's happening. Like Mm -hmm. if this reality is sort of like a simulated video game or something like that, like there's less bandwidth to be able to fully fill in all the details of the reality. There's less mm-hmm. people walking around. There's less events happening. There's you, you, I will literally go into stores and there will be less things on the shelves. I went into an office depot the other day and there was like one 15 year old sitting amongst a bunch of half filled shelves. And even when I went to check out, he had to check me out online on his phone. And he was like, yeah, I guess everyone's just ordering online now. But you still hear these echoes, like the supply chains are breaking down. There isn't going to be food anymore. No one is working in the fields. No one is doing things in the factories. It's just like the whole. All the cars are on back order. There's like no microchips for the new car. Exactly. Like the whole, the whole thing is starting to unravel and come apart. And when I feel people in their energy, it feels the same. Like everyone feels like hanging on by a thread. Sometimes there might be surges in energy. Sometimes it might be, you know, like we're experiencing a little bit of brain fog, but everyone kind of has that same sort of dogged look to them. Like, and I think it comes from this pressure of trying to pretend as though everything is operating as normal as it should be. Mm -hmm. Like you look around, like this is not normal. And yet we're still supposed to be sending emails and trying to strive in our capitalist mode as though there is going to be you know, a festival that we could join if we make it as a musician, that there is going to be a publishing company that's going to print our book if we're able to finish it. And I look around, it's like, I just don't know. It feels like these timelines are buffering and we don't know what the next two years is going to look like. And it's not this endless progress dream of capitalism that's been sold to us. It really is like that whole illusion that we've been living in is starting to come apart and it's revealing this other nature of reality that is so Saturnian to me. Pluto is in Capricorn. It's like we live on a planet with limited resources. We live within ecosystems that have parameters and we have not been honoring those and we are so out of whack. And I think it's the cognitive dissonance between our understandings of the actual structures that we live in versus the illusion of structures that are presented to us that tell us if you go through these illusory ways, that's what ensures your survival when it's actually survival comes through completely dropping out of that and finding what's true, what's true and real Mm -hmm. that creates this exhaustion that creates this brain fog and malaise. And this like, why don't I feel motivated and what the fuck am I even supposed to be doing and pointing my energy and attention at? And that's what I think is so powerful about being in a like active, embodied and um, like a real relationship with the planets and the archetypes, because I feel like throughout this entire time since COVID happened and before, of course, but especially since COVID has happened, I feel like it's just been so obvious how the planets are bringing us through this ceremony and with the retrogrades that are going on right now with Mercury and Saturn. 
everything that you just said. It's like, I can see how like Saturn is like, this is what our actions create. Like, this is what's not sustainable. Like, this is reality. This is gravity. Like what you're saying about like the oranges aren't on the shelves anymore. And like the cars aren't there and the microchips aren't there. And like, there's these things where like the details aren't being um, flushed out in a sense. And it's just showing us like, it's because it's not sustainable. Like what we've been plugging our energy into, what we've been like working on creating like foundations and structures within is like what you were saying, an illusory, an illusory reality, an illusory empire, an illusory authoritative capitalist structure that isn't real actually and then mercury being the mind is like really trying to show us like what you were saying the cognitive dissonance it's trying to show us like where our thoughts and our illusions and our you know desire for abundance or desire to be secure or whatever it is that makes us plug into this is creating the the energy that feeds that matrix and that machine. I mean, if you think to me, when you were describing about like the Russian doll dream or the, uh, the show, <laughs> which is funny that I say dream because we're also like dream. a dream. And that's what shows are. They're like collective dreams. Collective dreams. And in some ways, I feel like we, I, I think it was Carolyn Casey that says like, if you, if you uh, watch TV or not saying that everyone that watches TV, of course, like when we watch things like TikTok and all of these amazingly brilliant creative reflections, I feel like we can get more creative and then that can empire uh, or inspire our creativity, but also we can also forfeit our creativity, forfeit our, our true dreams yeah. um, by offering it to the collective in a sense or, or becoming uh, just a consumer of that collective dream. Definitely. Right. And, um, Anyways, I don't know what I was, I was going on a little dream train with that, but oh yeah, what I was going to say is when you were speaking about the show, about how like all of a sudden the oranges are molding and everything like that, what I was thinking about is like what, it, how a hologram looks like to me when it starts like short circuiting or light starts pouring through it. And then you can see like the dimensional like layers of it mm. are like really hollow, you know? It's like you can see um, almost as if like, you know, the three-dimensional reality are like these blinds, but then the sun starts pouring through the blinds and then you see that they're only like these little shades that are like keeping out the rest of the world and like all this vast reality behind it. Right. Um, so let's dive into Mercury a little bit because another one of my favorite Carolyn Casey quotes is whenever a planet goes retrograde, it's like it's going on a vision quest and Mercury goes retrograde three times a year. And I feel like there's a deep lesson in there. Like if Mercury is cognitive function, perception, communication, it is also the messenger from the gods. Like in mythology, no human could stand before God. They would explode into stars. And so they needed a messenger. And I feel like it's the same thing. Like we, um, that's why Mercury rules astrology, because there is a mediator between these divine forces and our ability to cognitively perceive and communicate 
divine and sacred experience. And that's why even these things like be, to be able to write, to be able to make a movie, I feel like that's a mercurial act. Like Mercury has to go into the dream realms of Neptune and pull out this jewel that then gets expressed, even if it's something, you know, like a silly TikTok, right? That's still a Mercury function of communicating something from the dream. And now it's like we've woven such an intense collective communication system around the entire world that we're all plugged into. And I think more than ever, it's like on the one hand, how amazing to be so connected. And on the other hand, how much more necessary it is to take a vision quest to make sure that we're dreaming our own dream, that we're feeding the, the realms of the sacred that we truly want to be feeding and that we actually are having agency through that connection to create the train that the reality is going to go down or the train tracks that the reality train is going to go down. And because Mercury just came out of retrograde, it it's like returning from its vision quest. And I feel like you just had so many great insights that you learned through that time. I love yeah. to hear that. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I have so much Mercury ruled. I mean, Mercury essentially rules my my chart. So I feel like I've been really Fuck yeah. fretted and humbled and um, and inspired. And I really feel like this Mercury retrograde has been like a vision quest for, for me because it's almost brought me through something that was giving me um, bits of my soul pieces back to me. And I feel like this, I'm so, I feel so in love with the fact that it's like handing the baton to Saturn going retrograde. And, and even though the Mercury retrograde, it ended, but we're still, you know, until June 18th in the post shadow period. And so that's like the time where we're really being tested and allowed like the actual life experiences and the same themes and, and everything to, to come back to us and say like our, are you going to choose something different or are you just going to relapse into some cognitive dissonant illusion of, of like same, same, same. And I think it's really powerful that Saturn is going retrograde over these next after, you know, like this eclipse and this Mercury retrograde and then Saturn is going retrograde to, for the next four months to really allow us to, to actualize those changes to like really see the gravity of our actions and, and truly unhook and, and, um, yes. Back and be like, what's Mm -hmm. what are we creating? Yeah. So even though I feel, you know, deeply affected by, um, like the heaviness of what I feel like the Saturn retrograde feels like so far, it's, it's, I feel like we're really being supported by the planets right now, by the astrology to really, really change and, and truly go through some sort of like time, timeline shifting reality jump, you know, kind of portal moments over the next six months. And, um, to me that Mercury and retrograde really helped me see how important it is for the the Mercury or the Gemini part of us to really be reflected and like how we endlessly search, you know, for that twin in our consciousness. And what I've 
really realize about that twin is being like the actual reflection. And so Mm. like if we're reflected, if we're validated, if we're, um, yeah, like how, how important is that for our development? Like I've been doing a lot of reading on, on like what it does to the brain and the nervous system when we're not empathized with when we're not attuned to like if your mother wasn't able to attune to you as a baby like how much that actually stunts the hippocampus the um prefrontal cortex and the amygdala like of the brain and just how much we hold those traumas um and those encoded um patterns that affect Mm -hmm. our neurology inside of our nervous system that then ripples out as this entire pattern and frequency that we then interact with the entire world and every relationship after that and how much that actually impacts the way that we create reality, you know, the way that we attract specific reflections. And I think that a big part of what we've been trying to unhook from is this capitalist, like all sense of security and power and the structures that be. And I feel like these systems are, have been largely narcissistic and so many people are, are really waking up to the, the pain of, of feeling, you know, like narcissistic abuse in a sense. And I feel like that can, can come as a lot of different, um, like reflections being like our lovers, our parents, our religious influences that we've experienced or like the, the specific subculture minority group that we might be a part of um, in the face of like the larger, you know, social group that has more power. Um, and so I feel like a lot of this, um, narcissistic abuse to me boils down to the feeling of not being attuned to the feeling of not being, um, validated or empathized with to a level where it shrinks you. And it like, um, totally. I mean, I feel like that's why Gemini's in that first quadrant, it is like the developmental quadrant. And it's like, you're saying it's like, like, Oh, that's where you learn how to talk. But I think that's how you learn how to fully perceptually and cognitively engage in reality. And I just love what you're saying about that twin, right? Because we don't exist in isolation community. I mean, Mercury's like commerce exchange transaction, our entire sense of self, our entire understanding of what reality is exists in relationship to what we're twinning with. That is our family of origin, our religion, our parents, our environment, the influences and the information that we take in. Those even determine what cognitive categories we're able to perceive. You know, it's like, um, like there's so many different languages where people will have like five different words for what we have just blue. And sometimes we say light blue or dark blue, but those people develop the capacity to see more shades of blue. And then they're in that reflexive loop that Gemini loves being in. And I feel like what you're saying is like, because so much of what is we're like speaking ourselves into and so much of what's reflecting ourselves back to us is toxic as Mm -hmm. fuck and not actually about providing a clear reflection, then our own filters get distorted. Right. And I think it's, it's like very, it's, it's 
like we can see it when we, we talk about like, you know, people don't, that are in an all white space, don't understand if they're white and they're with their, their black friend or their indigenous or Mexican friend, for instance, that, that it's going to be. Yeah. Like that people that don't have something like the same culture reflected back to them is it's challenging and it feels isolating or alone. And like me being gay or, you know, it's like, people are like, well, why does it matter that you have other gay people around you? And it's like, you know, I never really even knew the power of being reflected back to me yeah. in media or in these other experiences until it would actually happen, you know, like crying before they even like held hands in the first gay movie I ever watched because I was just like, Oh, like it, it's so powerful. And I think that those are things that we're still like battling in a sense. Um, I mean, in a real big sense. But then you have the rest of reality where it's like, we're, we're not even able to look at the plants and hear them or validate their sentience most of the time. And that be it with other animals and, and the minerals and, and the entire world. And, and like, then we stretch it out to the cosmos of the of the planets and their consciousness and like their evolutionary and mythological process. And so that's why I think Mercury is so powerful. Like you're saying is the messenger of the gods is like able to like connect those bridges and like learn those different languages and then be able to somehow like integrate and filter it and then speak it and create it. So where there's like a world that can be shared, you know, and like, it's a really big deal that we have a lot, like the majority of consensus reality of like pop culture is gaslighting most of these beings on earth mm-hmm. and in the cosmos for their narrow way of seeing things. Right. And so much of how they trap us is in egoic individualistic identity, right? Like I see people walking around, like we just live in such prisons, right? I do it too. Like this, like dark cloud of just ruminating. Like, I feel like the mind unchecked will just start seeing I'm a problem. My life is a problem, like looking for the problem, trying to fix the problem, just like endlessly ruminating, festering on like me and my life situation and like the future and the past and this bullshit, right? And it's really, when I see it, it looks like people are walking around with this like dark cloud around their brain, you know? Right. And what that does is it keeps us in the human perspective, in the individualistic perspective, in this like striving struggle mode. And even just what you did, like injecting a little bit of Jupiter into like, there is so much more than me. There are other people. There's so much more than people. We share this planet with incredible living beings. There's so much more than this planet. There are these other planets that exist in their own ecosystem, their own community, family system, whatever it is. Like we are just embedded in these ever widening, like nested contexts of so much and so many other ones, so many other incredible ones. And I think the greatest trick is these ecosystems, these ecologies, and the greatest like violence that they've ever done is to shove us into these individual selves and then throw that self into this competitive, vicious fight for its survival 
and creative expression, when so much of that creative expression, that natural love and relationship, that open flowing ability to be in touch with our own energy and interact with the energies of the beings all around us is the natural state. And it's just like what we were talking about right before when we were talking about the, you know, being in communion, cohabitation and communication with the spiders and the cockroaches and the ants and the bats and everything that we live with. And like, I mean, share our houses with. (laughs) and Right here in this house. (laughs) Yeah, I I share it with all these and, and... that's when the, the, the like weird, like gnome, like spirit entity that lives at my doorstep <laughs> who just told me, it was like, you got to sweep your doorsteps. You're wondering why you feel drained. Sweep your doorstep, like practical <laughs> magic, girl, get with it. Right. And I just think it's really powerful um, <laughs> that you're talking to your own gnome on your doorstep. <laughs> Fuck yeah, babe. Um, And fuck yeah for talking to your spiders and like holding space for her as she's pregnant and waddling over your kitchen floor. This spider got Um, very angry at me, folks, that I moved the recycling bin and did not give her enough notice when I was taking out my recycling. Yeah. And as you were telling that story, I thought of the the alecran, the, the scorpion that was living in my house and she stung my friend in the face. And then she, I was like, oh, I think I have to take you out now. Cause you stung my friend. And she was like, but I'm pregnant and I feel vulnerable. I need, I want to stay up here with you. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, of course. Um, just don't stun my, sting my friends anymore. Um, and so of course that sounds like a little cray cray, but um, what I think is really interesting about when you were telling me this, you know, similar story with your little spiders is that I was like, the, the, I remember the comments that I get from like most humans and they're like, oh yeah, I love those creatures just as long as they don't come into my house, you know, as long as they're not there. And I understand the need for boundaries and safety and all of these things. Um, however, I was thinking about that because I'm doing research on trees and everything and just about ecosystems. And like, I do think that we're the only ones that are like, we are going to take up like not only this space, but we're going to take up like fucking the whole world and like nothing else can live in it. I want it to be a barren one, you know, four white walled like place for just me to be safe and I'm just like that is a really interesting mentality in and of itself and it reminds me of what you're talking about of like that separate that separateness that then starts to like attack itself and then attack everything else and it reminds me of and this kind of gets a little bleak but like of cancer cells and cancer cells actually create this this wall around them this like tissue this um fat around them that cuts them off from the rest of the organisms and it and it can no longer communicate so then it just starts to attack everything and 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 reproduce itself you know and I just think that that comes from some sort of like consciousness of it being like separate and um yeah feeling separate isolated and then like survival mode um being the main 
focus or the main um, expression of that consciousness. And to me, like this high octave of Gemini is like able to weave all of the worlds. It is able to be aware of multiple, like multiple sides, multiple opinions, multiple beliefs, multiple rights and truths and then able to integrate multiple timelines, even in past, present, and future, and then able to, um, yeah, like hold space for all of that, right, without being fractured. And I think that's like the wound of Gemini is, is yes, getting lost in it, and yes, getting fractured. And so I think that's where um, the Saturn really comes in, is like, how do we hold all of this and are aware of all these other emotions and other needs and other rights and other wrongs and other timelines of ourselves of past, present, and future. And how does that integrate in this moment? And how does that create our reality? And how does that affect what we do with our energy? What does that grow? You know, I feel like that Saturn's really helping us to find the authority mm. to protect the magic in that way, mm -hmm. like protect what bridges we're going off to and connecting from and then how we're bringing it back, you know, mm -hmm. how we are bringing those messages back. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I do think it takes a lot of like Saturn authority. because it's undoing that programming. It's undoing, it's like unhooking from reality as it's presented. And, you know, I think now it's a really mercurial time. Like there's so much non-binary and so much multiplicity and everyone has a voice and everyone is screaming. It's like the world where many worlds are possible is here, but not without war, you know, and not without these like huge systems trying to collapse this gorgeous multiplicity into just two sides that can fight each other to the death. And I think to unhook from that requires so much inner authority and to believe in your own version of who you are and what reality is when it's not being reflected right. in the mainstream. It takes a It takes not only, I think, kind of like that Saturnian unwavering knowing and effort and commitment, but I think it also actually takes like a, um, maybe this is a mercurial ability actually to be in communication with your own nervous system. and self-regulate right. that was my this is so basic ass whatever but my main teaching of the mercury retrograde is like i need to get off my phone and have strong boundaries with my phone like i cannot look at my phone when i first wake up i cannot look at my phone for a few hours before i go to bed like i need to stop and I need to have time, you know, I'm such a like avid consumer of information, you know, and I just love it. I love my audiobooks and my podcasts and my this and my that and music. And I have to um, have quiet time. That isn't like I'm meditating now. This is quiet time, but just sort of like free. Like I can't always have something playing. 
like I have Mars and Gemini and the 12th. And so it's just like this voracious appetite for information. It was just really basic, like back to basics. So like, no, you have to have some time. That's just- I don't think it's back to basics. I mean, I think, well, I mean, it sounds basic to you, I'm sure. But to me, it's like, that's actually perfect for the Mercury retrograde. Like is having boundaries around what communication, what information that we are participating in. And again, it's like having that dance between the outer reflection and the inner reflection Mm -hmm. so that we can not be illusioned by that outer reflection and, and also not be so, um, dependent upon it that we miss the inner reflection that is there for us to, to develop. And like you said, it's like a way of, I think, siphoning off personal creative energy because I'll get an instinct of like, oh, I want to be creative. And then I'll consume someone else's creativity as opposed to listening to my own guides and, you know, creative force that wants to come through. I've been really feeling this a lot, actually, is like there's it's like when you're eating, there's a certain point that's like the sweet spot of when you should stop. Otherwise it's like feeding into addiction, feeding into some sort of, um, yeah, like what else are you eating for kind of, kind of thing. And, and I think it's, I really feel that when speaking about my creativity or speaking about like what I'm here to create or like what I am piecing even together, like I go so much into that Gemini world and then I like want to speak about it because that's how like, that's, there's so much to how I continue to like pull in the threads that are connected to all the collective patterns and everything like that with my own experience and the other person's experience. But if I do that past that point, it doesn't actually get created in anything like physical or solid, you know? And like you're saying, like you can just watch creativity. What's that? I'll just air. It doesn't get gravity, weight, actual material existence. Mercury needs Saturn to ground it. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting too about what you were saying about it's so mercurial to be able to tap into your nervous system. I, I was also just seeing the connection between like the mercury is like the development, like the development of the of the psyche, of the mind, of the neurology with our connections and then how that impacts the nervous system. But then in Aquarius, it really rules the nervous system in this interesting way. And I think that Saturn, um, Saturn being in Aquarius is also what makes this time really crucial to be able to understand like how we're reflected, how we're communicating, how our mind is developing. And then collectively, like in Aquarius, it rules like the collective, um, like the collective energy. Right. And then the nervous system. And so what we need, like, what are the obligations, societal, familial, karmic, how do we need to unhook from that while still being connected but still being in our heart, you know? Mm -hmm. And Uranus is the collective uh, resonance of Mercury too. Right. Like the high, the higher frequency of Mercury. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. I really love traditional astrology um, for like the planetary rulers and the high and the um, like the higher octaves of the closer planets. Yeah. Like first planets. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so with that Saturn being there to really help us find those boundaries and help us find those illusions and those sabotaging patterns, because I think both Gemini and Aquarius can definitely like Gemini becoming like spread too thin, fractured, um, you know, fractured with too much information, fractured with too much awareness around the external and how it's, you know, how it's reflected inside of itself. Um, Then the Aquarian feeling too much expectation or too much overwhelm on the obligations and its connection and needing to be separate from everything, but then also feeling disconnected and isolated and alienated from, from that, um, I think Saturn can really help us ground in this time. Like how to ground these really uh, electric, ethereal, mental, um, seemingly intangible parts of us that definitely reflect the like electrical magnetic force field of our heart and our body and our nervous system. Yes. And I want to get to the heart and the nervous system soon, but I want to go back because you were saying like part of that reflection is, um, obscured by narcissistic abuse. And I feel like narcissism is also one of those sort of like catch all terms. Like people mean a lot of different things when they say it. And I just want to know, what do you mean when you say like the reflection is impinged by this like narcissistic twin? Right. Ooh, I love that narcissistic twin. Oof, feel that deep. Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, because I, I also kind of abstain from doing like a lot of research um, on narcissistic abuse or narcissistic tendencies um, or personality disorder because I was like, oh, everyone says that they're exes of the narcissist. I don't really want to jump on that train. However, um, when I started doing research on it, it really really helped me understand um, that to me, what I think narcissistic abuse, um, for me, what it is mostly is just not like the tendency um, of another person or another group of people to not be able to empathize or fully see or um, understand even um, the experience of another. And so when you're undergoing like that experience when you're experiencing narcissistic abuse, it feels like the person is, is not able to empathize with you, but also creating all sorts of circular reasoning or patterns around finding ways to minimize your experience or to completely shut it down, um, to make you feel crazy or to make you feel not valued. Um, it's essentially a pattern that it needs to be fed And, um, it pushes away any other reflections or like roles, um, within society or inside of, um, a relationship dynamic that isn't feeding that main narrative of that person and or group. And so, um, like narc abuse to me, like a a narcissist has like a really tremendous capacity to have a big, a very strong formulated narrative and, um, in a sense, like egoic structure. Um, and when you're, and when you're able to feed or benefit from that main narrative, then a lot of the negative impacts of, of the narcissist will, won't be, um, 
at least consciously felt or maybe even felt at all. It's, it's usually when um, you're not feeding into that main narrative or when your narrative um, or multiple narratives start to collide. And that's why I think Gemini is such a um, powerful archetype of this is because Gemini's whole thing is to be able to like see many different stories, many different, you know, parts of reality through many different lenses and filters of perception. And so when something is being narrowed, it really does, you were saying that like black cloud and everyone's kind of like turned in on themselves and in the shame spiral in a sense. And I think that, um, what I've learned a lot about narcissists is they're predominantly ruled by shame. And the need to control that shame and project it externally um, and cover it up to pacify itself is usually done through control and, and, a, and a focus on power instead of connection. And that's why Gemini also is a brilliant archetype around it because it's trying to connect. It's trying to understand and, and again, find those twins. But when you have one of the twins refusing to see the other and only wanting the other to see them, then that's where these like cognitive dissonance and, and um, realities start to fracture. And, you know, even within the narcissistic person, I feel like they have this really strong egoic structure and this mental framework that keeps and, and they work very diligently and very hard um, and very um, methodically um, to be able to make their reality and all the people in it and all the ways that they are um, presenting themselves to the world feed them back that reflection. So again, we feel like that reflection is then um, highlighted there. And um, when that the different parts of themselves start to kind of bleed out and contradict one another and somebody else sees that that's when a lot of the really negative um patterns of the narcissist will will come out because they usually can't actually integrate their own seemingly disparate um disparate parts or um contradicting natures you know say say like their internal victim or um whatever else and yeah did I answer your question totally yes and I have this note here about the heart and the nervous system and I know it was based on this like really amazing conversation that we had but I don't remember exactly what it was but I think there's something about like, um, but the heart is so powerful that it's ruled by the sun, that a lot of what I think I've seen be a really good medicine for shame is actually to be in the heart, maybe like that Leo thing, to be in joy, to be connected to pleasure. And um, because so much of just that narcissistic, like seeking for a reflection in others, Oh, that's what I was going to say, because Mercury, it's like, obviously where we are these beings, right? We are collective beings. No human can survive alone. We need reflection. We need other, we need all of that stuff, holding and physical touch. And so much, we're basically just like in the uterus, in the fetal position, our entire lives <laughs> because of how much we need. And because of how, like, you know, larval and hairless and helpless we are in this big world but um 
not only, but we're also like amazing, whatever gods and shit like that. But you know what I mean? We just need a lot to get through human life. And, um, I think there's obviously like something just very like central and necessary about having that reflection. But I think that also is narcissus, right? That is the myth of narcissus of like, you're looking in the pool, but you're looking for your own reflection. Like a narcissist, someone who's running narcissistic process has so much internal shame, like feels so egoically destroyed by themselves that they feel the need to control their reflection, right? That's why a narcissist needs other people to believe the story about them, needs that positive affirmation from others right. cannot take any criticism. Right. It looks like separation, but it's also like intense dependency on the totally. reflection that they're getting because they don't have that core rooted inside and that their kind of sense of self is able to take all primacy because it doesn't have anything else that it is connected to. And so I think it was something just about like, if you really can think about the heart, if you really can think about like healthy Leo, right? Healthy child, healthy joy, healthy play and pleasure, and like really being centered, really able to shine of your own connection. Then that is kind of like a shame medicine. I think it's absolutely true. It's I- it's interesting that you um, mentioned the Leo with the heart um, medicine for this specific thing, because I feel like most of my experiences I've been tracking with narcissistic women have actually come in the form of like, like them having some sort of wound around the Leo archetype or in the fifth house specifically. And where, you know, it's funny because Leo is, I think oftentimes judged as being like the narcissistic sign and not saying that that can't be true um, because of, you know, if that need is so, you know, so grand and then it hinders the ability to share or like have others be in that, um, on that center stage as well and, and share power and share, share beauty and all of these things, then, then that's where we get that, um, you know, need to be the, like the one that's constantly being reflected, but unable to reflect. And I think that that's why I think it's so powerful what you're saying about the the medicine of the heart, because in where this Leo wound happens, it's like the, the wound is oftentimes like they can't give, like they have this like really deep shame and unworthiness that it's like, I can't receive love and therefore I can't give because they're going to feel like, it's like they're going to lose power in that or they're not worthy to give it or they're not worthy to express it in these different ways. And, and, and it gets, um, you know, personal for everyone. But I do think that that refusal to open the heart and, and feel and like also be a, like able to share what's inside of that heart. And I think that that's what's so interesting about the narcissist is like having this this like really strong egoic framework that it doesn't need anyone or that it, that it's like really strong in these different ways or, or whatever, but it's actually like, doesn't feel like what's inside of it is worthy to come out. And so that, that like deep self hate or unworthiness and that deep shame of what is inside is something very shameful and worthy to be hidden. And then it gets stuck in this like, depletion that then becomes like what you're saying, codependent. And I would also go as far to say as really parasitic 
because it needs that other energy to feed that heart, but it's not ever going to be able to feed it. Like, like Leo, somebody being on the stage and like taking the energy of the audience. Well, usually you don't really get the energy of the audience if you're not able to fully open and share that essence, you know, and we have created a world where somehow that is actually happening. But I think that ultimately that heart of Leo doesn't really get touched in an authentic and joyous way because it's still playing a role and therefore entering into this like parasitic codependent relationship with like the audience in a sense, um, because it's feeding one part of them, but not like the whole of them and like what they're offering isn't really necessarily feeding either because it's a part of the illusion. Right. And so I think that's where we start to get into like so many layers of like consensus reality, the nature of reality and our layers of relation, relational, um, depth. And, um, like, I don't want to, I don't know what I'm going to say, but like relational depth gets, um, skewed and it starts, we start to peel it apart when we start looking at all of this, because it's really, that's why we're in the state that we're in is because there's so many layers of illusions and addictions and insustainable patterns happening on so many levels that, it gets overwhelming. That's why the Gemini then gets overwhelmed when we start to peel apart this tapestry is because we end up thinking we're going to pull one thread and then we find it connected to another one. We find these other things and we're like, holy shit. Now I'm just like covered in like these, these threads and most of the tapestry is gone by now. And I thought I was just going to pull out one thread and then be able to fix the tapestry. But fuck, the whole thing is like, needs to be redone. (laughs) it's also you know i um i went to this movie screening the movie velvet goldmine have you seen it it's so good it's so good (laughs) (laughs) that's right you that's right you don't partake in the same way i do i just love story and narrative and every once in a while there's a movie like velvet goldmine which is sort of like this fantastical retelling of david bowie during his Ziggy Stardust era, right? He like broke out. He's like, I am an androgynous alien. And he like changed, you know, the spectrum of possibilities for all of us ever since. And it was rumored that he was, had a love affair with Iggy Pop, who was like this rock star, you know? And so then this guy, Todd Haynes, made this incredible movie along with a bunch of other people um, called Velvet Goldmine. And it's actually about this kind of just incredible creative connection of queer folks a lot through time. And it's this idea of like this beautiful emerald came down from the stars and birthed Oscar Wilde, this amazing gay poet, writer, orator. And then he like passed down his gift to Jack Ferry, who was like representing all of these different gay men through artistic and cultural history. And then it came down to David Bowie. And the whole movie is just this beautiful dream. Like it was like this, the people who made it were really able to tap into this world, to tap into this realm and actualize it. Like to really like blow the psychedelic trip of this 
world that they were a part of into this movie so that when you're watching the movie, you can feel it and you feel like you're a part of something bigger and that you are connected to the stars and to all these different artists through history. And um, someone like David Bowie, I think it was so clear that when he was performing, he had made himself transparent. He'd made himself a channel for this electric current of something so Aquarian, actually so innovative and revolutionary to come through his being and his body. And that when he was there fully open-hearted, he was able to transmit this to the people who watched him and also able to receive their love and be in that kind of tantric creative circuit with them and change the world. And that even this movie in, was able to do the same thing. Like I was in this theater and it was um, being played at some like art house in Portland and people were crying. People had come with like shirts and gear and dressed up so moved by this movie, like it had spoken to a deep part of their heart. Mm. I was just thinking that when you were talking about Leo, about the potential that happens when maybe Leo and Aquarius are able to work together, when the heart and the nervous system, when the human body and the divine cosmos can really dance. It's just such magic. Totally. It's like the heart and the nervous system allow for like profound connection, not only with the self, but then with like, like another, but then when we bring it into the like true, like Leo and its gift offering it to the like collective of Aquarius and also like bringing the Aquarian, like cosmic star intelligence yeah star intelligence other dimensional intelligence through this vessel of like um, empathy and emotional connectivity and art and ritual it's like that is where culture is made (laughs) and I think that's you know the message of this time when a shit is so crazy I think such a big part of the message is to create our own culture and that doing so is dependent on, you know, the heart and the nervous system. And I feel like it's something keeps like ringing back to me over and over as we're speaking of just, if we're really like in this protective, deep allyship to our nervous system and our heart, then what we offer is going to be authentic and from a place of like, yeah, like what supports our energy, like what's real with our energy. And I feel like that isn't really, that is the antidote to unhooking from these toxic, codependent, addictive, and insustainable relationships and relationships with corporation society and and you know at large it's like when when we're able to really and that's what I think the the beauty of the Gemini medicine of allowing us that dance between the inner reflection and the outer reflection and like what we perceive and what we journey towards to like 
receive the medicine and the like medicines and um, songs of like all the ones, all the realms that we're connected to and we bring it back. It's like when we're really living our lives in alignment with that, and no longer jumping into the roles because I've been seeing it myself of like, there's places where it's like, I'm so devoted to that. And then there's these other coping strategy parts of my ego that are like, oh, but for now you have to do it like this, or now you want to be in this way so that you can get money or so that you can like put up with certain people of the world or anything. And it's, it's, it's not actually feeding and it doesn't work. And maybe where, where it's worked in different ways and maybe for other people, it looks like it works for them. But for me, it's like, it's not. And for whatever reason, my soul is like, it doesn't get to work for you anymore. Like in some ways, like the veil has been lifted. You can't unsee and unknow what you know now. And like your reality is going to like reflect that to you. Totally. I mean, you've watched me. I've been in this whole state. I haven't even really been able to create very much at all. I think because I was creating from a place that was fully hooked in. Like my worth is my productivity, love like striving to be successful. So other people would think I was impressive. And I got like smacked down hard. Like I cannot create from that place. Like physically, it will not let me. I will go into like crazy brain fog, like huge symptoms, all sorts of addictive patterns. And then it's like, I need to wake up and be like, oh, right. I was coming from that place. And even if like the things that I'm trying to create are fully aligned with my soul and my higher self, if I'm using that fuel to get there, I won't get there. And I've just been trying, it sucks, but I've been trying to be like grateful to be like, okay, thank you. Thank you to my system. Thank you to whatever forces are preventing me from actually being able to create anything right now because it's showing me all of these like addictive, traumatized, toxic places that I'm creating from, you know, and like not letting me get, like you can't get to there from here, you know? Yeah. And there's no like faking it. It's so that, and it feels like a no compromise in you. And I feel like Saturn's really getting hard with us. And I, I feel like I've told you this before, but it just, that experience where Saturn was this like obsidian black dragon, like this massive black dragon that brought me into the underworld. And Mm -hmm. I looked around and I was like, this is fucking what everyone thinks hell is. And he's like showing me that this is what humans do when they are taking from the energy of, he's like, this is the energy of like creative life force energy. And when they are taking from it and not being accountable, not being responsible, they contort it into this weird, like seething, like grabbing and like, like addictive, um, taking sort of energy and and then it and then we put the shame on those on that like that realm essentially Mm -hmm. and so he was what his message was was like if you are going to be in a relationship with these women that you think have like the potential to be in this sex magic mastery cultivation with you but yet they're not willing to actually 
be responsible and accountable for the energy that they're taking. And they're still in these power dynamics and they're still in these shame spirals that lead to like all of this drain. And I'm opening up all of my energy, tapping in from those realms to like then give it to them to see if they can like wake up and be healed, you know, and choose that. He's like, you're taking from us. Like you're taking from our energy. And so when you said like, if I, all of these things that we want to create, it's like, we've been on this journey for a long enough time where we're not trying to create shit that like doesn't really matter. It's like a part of our soul. And we're still seeing the like fine tuned fucking details of how it's hooked into this bullshit and that we're a part of it. You know, he's like, if you are giving it to them and they're doing that with it, you're taking from our energy you're feeding you're a part of the extraction and then it's like oh my god fuck like get a hold of your dick energy (laughs) get a hold of your like desire Mm -hmm. and be willing to make the boundaries and and attach and be willing to be discerning and that's the hard truth of saturn because i'm like saturn Like, you're just wanting me to be, like, celibate forever. And there's going to be no magic. And I'm never going to be able to find the gay women that are, like, sex assassins, sex masters with me if I'm just going to have such high standards. And he's just, like, fucking open your eyes and protect the magic. You are not getting to that realm and the mastery level that you want. Mm-hmm. By like siphoning yourself and us to these toxic relationships and these toxic patterns. It's not just in relationships. It's like, these are toxic patterns that we see as, as in the structure of our, our whole society. Yeah. And I think that is, it's like, you need that Saturn to be able to create the boundaries and detach. And then you need the Mercury to be able to see what's happening because it's just right. like your energetic glasses, where are you taking energy from and where are you giving that energy to? Like there is just like a really practical, factual channel that is being chosen yeah. in every moment by every one of us. And, um, I think that's the thing. It's like, if I'm trying to create, because I think my worth is in there like I'm not successful and therefore I don't deserve to exist. And I wasted my life. If I haven't done X, Y, Z, like I am taking the energy from, you know, that life force realm and I'm feeding it right back into the system of shame and worthiness and, you know, capitalist milestones, et cetera, et cetera. And just like more egoic seeking. It's just so clear. Right. It's just so clear. And yet the actual embodiment and actualization of that, and that's what I think is so fascinating about retrogrades is because it's like the planet brings you through it three fucking times. Like It's like really trying to help you almost like baby status, you know? And then we're still like, okay, it's like the third time around. And like, what decisions am I going to make? Am I going to do it different this time? Or am I going to No, I'm going to do it the same. same. I mean, hey, compassion though. It's one thing to intellectually see it, but I feel like it just takes a lot to wake up. And maybe we really are just working on, you know, Maybe every lifetime, if we can do just one little baby step, it's a huge achievement. 
that's spoken so sweetly and I feel like Saturn and like, I don't think that we should definitely like let the internal oppressor like beat us up into a way that's like, um, more draining or more, um, sabotaging. But I do think the Saturn energy, at least for that black dragon for me and and the, the Saturn feels like, yeah, it's like pressure time. It's like heavy and pressure time. Like, do you really want to get beat up? Like, do you really want to just like break down or are you willing to just get kicked out of your comfort zone a little bit? Like, and for me, I feel like, and and I do think it's so helpful to be compassionate with ourselves and you're such a beautiful example of that for me. I feel like you're so compassionate for me (laughs) endlessly when I really do need it sometimes. Um, but I also think that for me right now, there is like a really strong push. Like now is the time. And that's what I think it's like compassion for sure. But also it's because I really do see how every single baby step is like you said, the whole tapestry, like to change one pattern, all the patterns and these things that we're working on, it might seem like one piece of karmic habit that we're trying to reprogram, but it is like major to do that. I think like this one program of you giving your energy away to this type of woman, that is sacred work, deep, profound, sacred work. And now might be the time, but I think the compassion is just to understand exactly how deep that is and about how it's interconnected with everything else. I think for me, understanding all of my kind of baggage around creativity, my like longing to do it and all the ways in which that's tied up in shit that no longer serves me is sacred work, Pluto work. Absolutely. Maybe what we can do, we're coming up on the end here. Maybe we can do is we can just, I have my tarot cards. We can look at the chart of the moment. We can tune in and just see if there is any, um, like message for this time, any like energy read for this time. I just got this image of like somebody having broken their legs and stepping out of a wheelchair and making those first steps, you know, and it's like what you were saying about the baby steps and me being thinking about this experience through the Mercury retrograde that I'm just experiencing, like kind of making fun of myself in a sense that I'm like, I'm just like making baby steps to like normal people boundaries it seems like to this type of woman and yet it feels so hard and Saturn I feel like is just like really trying to remind me in this moment or us in this moment that it's like it feels so hard to to do something that like potentially your whole entire reality and maybe for lifetimes has like felt like so ingrained. It's like, like when we're like conditioned into something, it's like your whole reality reflects to you this thing and feel, it feels real. And so it seems like it's like, it's, it feels like it's going to be the death of you. If you do it, it feels like it's going to be the hardest fucking thing. The worst thing ever, like it's actually killing the magic or something. And I feel like he's just like, just trust and like really like almost close your eyes 
and like feel that energy and Mm -hmm. go with it and then open your eyes, you know, to the reality or something. And it's like this dance between having your eyes closed again of like that outer reflection of like what our physical reality looks like right now. And then also that like deep inner knowing of like, there's a really strong guide if we're true to our energy. If we're just like, I think you were saying something about like the energy glasses of just like seeing energy and then how that is going to actually create the reality. And if we like just trust that and we're in like almost a trance sort of trust, it's like we're not trying to push past it. Like when we do Qigong or something, you have to like move into the, into the flow, into the current and if you try to constrict it or control it or grab it, it's going to go, it's going to disappear. And so there's something about just really, and I keep like grabbing my like core, like where my dantian and seeing this like serpent coming out of my dantian, like out of my core. That's like that serpent knows what's real and where your energy is supposed to be going. And it's like, come back into relationship with that. Fuck yeah. I got something similar. Look at these cards. I'm using the Osho deck. The Outsider, Breakthrough, and then New Vision and Guidance in Reverse. Right? Like, I think we're feeling like we're the outsiders. And so much of it is like unplug, right? Unplug from all the shit we don't like. Connect. We are not outsiders. We are not isolated. Connect to the spiders and the plants in your house. Connect with the art that you love, with the people who's like light you up, with the plants and planets all around you. Like be in communion with those. Regulate your nervous system with those. There is a breakthrough coming. There is a new vision happening. There is guidance all around us, but it takes connecting our systems into what we want to be connected to and really charge your battery. Like Jessa Reed says, charge your fucking battery. So much energy is wasted being connected to whatever it is, like the news or the parent you don't want to talk to or the, you know, extra energy going towards emotional reaction around a job you don't like, whatever. It's like, call that energy back. It's draining your battery. It's really hard to manifest with just 4% battery. Gotta pull it in, reconnect to what is actually helping charge you up and feel that guidance all around. When you do look through your energy glasses, take really clear stock of what is helping you feel charged up, what is making you feel depleted and actually try to make changes that are in alignment with your actual energy system and the feedback you're getting from it. And I think that's what's so hard. It's easy to know like, oh, this friend drains me. It's really hard to say, I'm not going to see that friend anymore. I think that's what's necessary, right? It's easy to say like, oh, when I look at my phone at night, I don't sleep as well. It's hard to actually like put the phone away. It's really hard. Right. But that's really what's uh, necessary. 
So I, the other thing I saw was like, see if you could even track it like once a week, even just have a little goal. Like just this week, I am going to do this change so that the system that I'm living my life in actually correlates to what my energy system is telling me and actually write it down and actually try and make just one change a week. Mm-hmm. Cause it's really easy to slip back into all those old patterns, even when we know otherwise. Absolutely. Especially um, till June 18th as we're <laughs> great moving through this. Now is the time to do new Saturn structures and systems. Straight the fuck up. And and really watching the mind and watching how we are, um, how we're creating our reality and what we're consuming and what we're speaking. Mm-hmm. What we're, yeah. Um I think that we will be given tests. We will be giving like beautiful opportunities. These are our allies. And like you said, there's guides all around. Like we have the support, we have the portal. The ceremony is here. If we just stay awake and stay lucid through the dream of it. (laughs) And I think it's October 23rd that Saturn will be retrograde. And so really finding that, that dance between what are we unhooking from? What have we been conditioned into and how to really come into alignment with our hearts also, because the opposite of Aquarius is, is Leo. And you said that, that medicine, that antidote of that shame is like, can you give, can you express? Can you receive? Uh, Yeah. And then also, can you hold that Aquarian Shiva consciousness that like allows for the reflection and allows for the, the Shakti to come out by like holding space and asking the questions and like creating that container for somebody else to also shine and also receive empathy and, you know, expression. And I just think that if we like dance that Shiva Shakti Aquarius Leo dance in all of our moments as like a little test. I, I, I do this a lot. Oops. I do this a lot with um, being around groups or being on a date, you know, as like playing the Leo and the Aquarius, like jumping into those different roles and like how um, I feel like that group gives us mastery, you know? Yeah. We're always either the seducer or the seduced. And so if we can like really dance within that, um, you know, one is going to be more comfortable than the other. But I think when we really like start to dance with it, I think that the world and ourselves, our hearts will blossom and the other and the hearts around us will blossom as a result. And we'll catch you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.